we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. The transfer news continues on for KU Basketball as uh, they're going to be without a, another player headed into next year. That would be one Joe Yesifu this go-around. So last night they released, because uh, they're doing this like barnstorming tour again, which they did last year. Basically, it's a bunch of the players go, and uh, it's just a way for them to get a little money in their pocket, and they go and, and play scrimmages in front of fans and go to different cities that maybe uh, it, it has a little harder time coming out to Lawrence or something like that, right? And... Yeah. um. Joe Yesifu was on the roster, listed on the roster that they sent out. Joe Yesifu was on there. MJ Rice was on there. Uh, Kyle Cuff. Kyle Cuff was on there. A couple guys that, you know, certainly seem to be, if if there's going to be a mass exodus of transfers, not that everyone maybe is going to go, but that certainly they might be up in the air. So that made a lot of people start, you know, grinding their gears together, going, oh, does that mean they're back? They're going to be in the barnstorming tour. This was pointed out by Michael Swain of, of Fog.net last night, and I think it's a good way of putting it. It is not the job of, because I think this barnstorming tour is put on by Mass Street Collective, it is not the job of Mass Street Collective, the NIL collective for KU, to break news on who is staying, who is going, right? <laughs> so that was never a full indication that this guy was staying or going. The roster can change, and certainly it, it has already. So yeah. don't even worry about the barnstorming tour thing anymore with the roster. True. This yeah. got cleared enough. Joey Asifu is leaving. Yeah. yeah, and I this is one that I think is a little bit surprising because we've talked about it a little bit, but we, especially with Bobby Pettiford entering the portal as well, like it seemed like Joe was poised to be a guy who got even more time playing than this year, right? I mean, when you when you look at the guard situation with no with no Bobby Pettiford, you basically have Dewan Harris and El Marco Jackson, and then we talked a little bit about Chris Johnson, but I don't think he would really play into it too much. And then you have Joe Yesfu, so Joe would feasibly be a playing for a starting job potentially, like with El Marco Jackson as like the two guard, or b at the very least he would be similar to what he was this year, is basically becoming the first guard off the bench. But with no Bobby Pettiford, you figured he'd have a chance to increase his minutes. So. I, I'm a bit surprised to see him go, and it's sad because you know this is a guy that that came in obviously off after his tournament run with Duke, with Drake, and seemed like he was going to be someone you could rely on off the bench to score. And you know his first season was a little rocky, but and then this season kind of the same deal. It just didn't really he never really seemed to fa- find his his footing uh, with with KU just in terms of his role. And you know we've talked about it coming off the bench for Kansas is not easy. Because Bill Self has a tendency to be a guy who, if you come off the bench and you struggle on defense or you know you miss your first shot, you might have a quick hook. 
right? And for some guys, that's fine, and for other guys, it's it's not. Uh, when you look at someone like Jalen Coleman-Lands or Isaiah Moss, guys who could come off the bench and just instantly hit shots, for those guys, that type of coaching style worked. For Joe Yesifu, you wonder if it detracted from him a little bit because it felt like we never really got to see consistently him playing to his highest level for whatever reason, right? Maybe that was part of it that he, you know, he had trouble getting on the floor long enough to get into rhythm or whatever, whatever it might have been. And so for that reason, you, you feel like it was a bit of a miss with Joe. And he's he's the type of guy that I think could easily go somewhere else and be the star player and average, you know, over double digits per game. And it's it's tough because you just weren't able to quite tap into that with Kansas. But listen, there's been plenty of guys that have transferred into KU where it didn't work and they move on and they end up having great careers elsewhere. I mean, we talked about Sylvia DeSosa yesterday. Charlie Moore is another example of that. Goes to Miami and ends up being pretty good. You know, it's just it's just sometimes it's not the best fit, you know. And But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, you've got a Hall of Fame coach, Bill Self, who is incredible in so many different ways. Are you really going to change his the way he likes to coach versus just for some transfer guys to try to reach their potential? Yeah, probably not. So that's why I think you see sometimes this happen with guys that you felt like had the chance to be integral pieces of KU's roster that just didn't didn't quite work out. And I, I feel bad about Joe because I think, like, I personally wanted him to work out. I think other people maybe felt the same way. Uh, but he was kind of polarizing, I guess, because of the fact that you brought him in to be a scorer and it just never really quite clicked consistently for him off the bench. But but certainly wish him all the best. And, and I do think that wherever he ends up going, he could be a guy that does average, you know, 14, 15 points per game, depending on where he goes. Yeah, I mean, when he last left Drake, he averaged 12.8 points per game. Those numbers were up, and uh, it just never lived up to that run that he had in the uh, NCAA tournament, kind of at the end of his final month, month and a half in his time at Drake, uh, when he really was hot. And, you know, the three-point percentage never came around to Kansas. He had uh, a good amount of open shots at times, and she couldn't capitalize. 26% from three, his junior year uh 29 this past year from three-point range like that was just kind of the big difference like you said uh, when you're coming off the bench you kind of have to be able to figure out that three-point shot quickly you have to figure out that shot very quickly and yeah. have confidence in it and there just wasn't enough of it so and you, you know, know like oh go ahead I, I was gonna say i could see him doing well at, at another school like you said i think zach clements i could see doing well at another school at you know maybe with time a little bit uh, joe probably the most immediate one but um yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate because he is a really nice kid. And over the course of covering him, there were several times where Bill Self kind of talked about that he's almost like too coachable, that yeah. um, everything they told him to do, it got him maybe thinking too much on the basketball court or that, you know, it, it got him like last season, it got him into the mindset of like, don't even try to be a scorer, just be a facilitator, defender, all this stuff. And they had to kind of rework out of him into this year to be, completely different to be a scorer for this team because they needed the off-ball shooting so it's unfortunate it never worked because he is a good kid I think he's a really nice kid he's he's uh, nice to talk to well-mannered and everything and, and I really do wish him the best and I hope that he does well in, in wherever his next stop is I believe he's a graduate so even though he's transferred previously I think he'll be able to get uh, an automatic transfer regardless of where he goes which that would really suck if 
Um, he was almost being forced to transfer out and then had to sit out a year. But I do expect that to happen. So I, I wish him the best. And it just it just kind of stinks it never really worked out. Yeah, and we mentioned, you know, at times earlier this season how it would feel like sometimes Joe was playing almost too much thinking about the name on the front of the jersey, right? Kansas. It felt like there were times where that pressure was maybe that pressure of playing at Kansas was maybe affecting his play a little bit, or or like you said, he was thinking too much instead of just maybe being more of an instinctual type player. And so that's really the sad part is is you could tell how badly he he wanted it, how badly he wanted to to find his role and be successful in that role for Kansas. And Brian Haney gave us that story about after Hawk Talk where Bill Self went over to him and, and was like, hey, you know, we're we're gonna need you, right? We're gonna need you for the stretch run. And things like that, just trying to, to trying to boost his confidence and and make him feel uh, make him feel like he's got a place on the roster. And yeah, it, it's sad that it didn't work out. And and now for Kansas, I think this this is really interesting because we literally just had a question about this in the KMO bag yesterday about what's the top priorities in, priorities in the transfer portal. And we both agreed wings. Well, now with both Bobby and Joe transferring out, you almost have to wonder if suddenly getting a, a secondary guard becomes your top priority in the transfer portal because yeah. you basically have Dewan and nobody else. I mean, you're going to have Marco Jackson, who we expect to be a contributor, but, I mean, again, it, with with a freshman, what are the expectations going to be? And so now you almost wonder, like, hey, do you need do you need to go get somebody as a secondary guard that either can be a shooter at the two-guard or can be a guy who can facilitate the offense when Dewan needs a break? I, I don't know if that suddenly becomes a higher priority than, you know, getting a wing-type guy. I think the players we're waiting on to see what happens now at this point would probably be Kyle Cuff, MJ Rice, and, and maybe Zuby Edgefer. I'm under the estimation that Zuby will be back next season, but yeah. I guess we don't totally know because this is very much a a cleaning house, so to speak. Um, I think with MJ Rice, there's just a lot of questions there you don't know. With Kyle Cuff, um, again, I think good kid, and I think yeah, it's unfortunate it's for him. Injury. Yeah, yeah, because who knows? If, if he doesn't have the injury this past season. Maybe he's a guy that works his way into right. the rotation of you know, with above Bobby or right. Joe. Like when those guys were struggling or yeah. when Bobby was injured, that, that maybe he would have been able to show something. So you don't totally know what's going to happen there, but certainly those are the decisions that I'm kind of waiting out to see at this point. I, I think you're 100% right that I don't necessarily know that they're going to go shopping for someone who, like, I think on the wing position, they're going shopping for someone in the portal that can come in and start right away. They yes. can play 30 minutes a game or whatever. I would say so, and, yeah. And, you know, score double-digit points per game. Definitely. I think if they go shopping for a center, kind of what we talked yesterday, which I don't know that they will or not, it would be somebody who happens to be like a star, which we're going to talk more about some of the names that have popped up in the portal, guys that are interesting or guys that we've seen different reports of that KU's reached out to in some way uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. Um, but I think with the point guard spot, or, or like not necessarily even point guard, just a combo guard, you know, uh, whether it's a... Exactly, yeah. Right. It could be a guy that could be a shooter, but then in a pinch could also run the offense. Right. I, I kind of think that would be more of someone who you'd be fine with coming off the bench. Yeah, because like we talked about it yesterday, it seems pretty plausible at this point that Dewan Harris is going to play 36, 37 right. minutes a game. He was right? at 34 so, this past year. So you literally, you're looking for a guy that could run the offense literally for like a minute. Yeah. You know, and and we know how Bill, we know how good Bill Self is at like you know getting guys out right before media timeouts to get some extra rest. So you're just looking for a guy to run the offense basically for that span of time, you know, three or four times a game when Dewan is is going to be on the bench. Yeah, and I think that 
the way you view it is you bring someone in and it can't be someone who you're you're having to tell, yeah, we're going to promise that you're going to start. It has to be someone who is either um, comfortable in, like I, I've mentioned Jalen Coleman Land's name so often here, which is so <laughs> weird to, that I keep mentioning it because he was the eighth man on a team that won the title. But nonetheless, um, because he was comfortable coming to a team where he knew he wasn't necessarily going to be the go to option, or right? Even a starter. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I do think there was something to the idea of when they brought Jalen Coleman Lands in when they did, it was when Ochag Baji was testing the draft waters and he was to a certain extent a little bit of Ochai insurance in case Ochai did go pro that they had a guy who could come in and, you know, hit some big shots for him and stuff. And there was a little bit of that. Um the way I view it, you have to go out and get someone that I think you view it as El Marco Jackson insurance. Right. I, I've I've watched some like highlight films and, and stuff like that of El Marco Jackson. I think he's going to be really good. But also at the end of the day, it's a freshman. It's a freshman, yeah. And you don't always know, right? Some guys, it takes two years, three years. Some guys, it never clicks. Uh, some guys are great right away. Look at Grady Dick, right? And I, I think El Marco Jackson's going to be really good. But I don't know because he's a freshman, right? So you get someone who's insurance for that, can compete with him, is a veteran for him to look up to and learn from but is also comfortable in the case they are that guy off the bench, that they're not going to be upset about it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, actually. I'm glad that you you mentioned the phrase cleaning house because I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Basically of like, is it better, do you think it's better in this case for KU to, to do something like this, where they, which they've already done, obviously, where they just kind of do say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to basically look at the transfer portal for three or four guys, and so... Are guys that weren't contributors like maybe you need to be showing the door a little bit? I guess uh, like like with MJ Rice for example, is it the case of you punt on MJ Rice and look for transfers, or you know we know how good Bill Self can be at developing guys? Like is that a guy that you hope sticks around? I think that if MJ Rice is committed and wants to come back, okay. Because here's the thing with the transfer portal, because basically what I'm saying is I, I don't. I don't necessarily love the idea of saying, okay, we're going to bring right. back basically Dewan, KJ, and Ernest, and we're going to go all in on the transfer portal. Because at that point, you're basically saying you really have to nail like every single one of those guys for whatever role you want them to be. Otherwise, you know, you yeah. just, it's not going to turn out very well. Yeah, I, I, if MJ wants to I, – I mean, it's obviously a two-way street. If MJ wants to come back, I think you absolutely take him. I don't think that's a situation to me where I would be saying show him the door because clearly there's talent there. And look at yeah. it this way. I don't know that it'll ever work with MJ Rice at Kansas. You hope it does. But when you're going into the transfer portal, there's a reason that these guys are in the transfer portal and not going pro, right? There's something missing. You're not going to get a, a, an, I don't know, lottery pick, right? Like, you might get a Kevin McCuller who is going to possibly be a second-round pick, and if he has a good season, which he did this year, now he seemingly for sure would be a second-round pick, right? Like, you might get somebody like that. But even then, Kevin was like one of the highest rated transfers. You're not going to get someone who's a projected lottery pick, top 20 pick, who is this perfect player who averages 15 points per game and they're lengthy and they're athletic, uh, athletic and they shoot well from three and they're a good defender. Because guess what? That player either is sticking at their school because <laughs> they're their star player or they're going off to the NBA, right? So you're, yeah. you're getting players who have holes in their games. You're either getting players who have holes in their games or getting guys who have maybe done some of that stuff at a lower level, but have not been tested at, exactly. at, the, at exactly. the Power 5 you know, level. And so with MJ Rice, clearly there are holes in his game. He, he didn't you know, crack the rotation this year, right? There, there's missing stuff. But what do we know about MJ Rice? He is a great athlete. 
He is a you know six foot five power wing. Who he's the guy who you figure if he has a good offseason would be a right. starter. He like has a guaranteed all the tools, starter. All the tools athletically that if if things clicked for him in the game part of it, then the potential of MJ Rice is a first round pick. So from that notion, yeah, if MJ wants to stay, you say yes. Like let, let's figure this out, you know? And you hope he has a good offseason. And that if it doesn't work again, then he probably would transfer. So I don't think, yeah, I, I think maybe with some of these other guys, it is a little bit of, hey, man, listen, like, we're going to over-recruit you. You're probably not going to play a lot next year. It's in your best interest to transfer somewhere else. I think with MJ, yes, you do approach it as like, hey, we're bringing in some other good wings. We're going to challenge you. We're going to make you compete for minutes. If you're not comfortable with that, then leave. But we still think you have a bright future, and we hope you stay because we think if you do put everything together, the potential is still there. That's kind of how I view that. Yeah, like I said, I just, I, you know, this is just a personal thing for me, I guess. But, like, I, I don't love the idea of saying, hey, we're going to look for, you know, three, four, even five guys in the portal that we hope can be good. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily love that. No, I, it's, I mean, it's fair. But I, I will say to counter that, and it's not to this level of what they're doing now, but the, the team that won a title last season, right? Yeah. Um, they had a lot of new guys on that team, right? Yeah. Well, and they had transfers no, they had, that played important roles, but yeah. it wasn't like their whole team. No, the thing was they had four of their five starters back. Yeah. That was the key, right? Um, and then the the one guy who wasn't a returning starter, I think was was it Dewan? Yeah, Dewan was the one non returning starter, but he was on the team the year before. Yeah. Marcus but again, they, and again, they had two they had two transfers yeah, so that they were important with yeah. Remy Martin and, and Coleman Lands, but that wasn't that wasn't their whole team. No, it wasn't. But I'm saying like the rest of the team was was mostly newcomers. Like Mitch Lightfoot off the bench, sure. But you had Remy, you had Jalen Coleman Lands, you had Cam Martin, you had Joe Yesifu, uh, you had some freshmen on the team, right? But the guys that carried your team yeah. were Oach, Christian sure. Brown, David McCormick. Don't you think though that next year it could be the same thing? Like, what it if it's be Dewan Harris, KJ, KJ Adams, Ernest Duda carry the team? And what if Zuby's your first big off the bench? Because yep. think about it this way. Think about it this way. If you viewed the rotation from that team as basically, I don't know, I guess five of the eight guys, I guess it's still six of the eight, but you could still end up with like four of the eight in the top eight of the rotation next year were on your team. Or if MJ Rice, then it could be five of eight. Yeah. I'm not overly concerned. You look across the teams that are in the Sweet 16. Most of them have transfers. Have big transfers. They, a lot of them have a lot. That have made impacts. Right. Um. So Kansas State, you have Keontae Johnson uh, with... Um, Michigan State, you have Tyson Walker and Joey Hauser. Now, those guys have been in the program a couple of years. With uh, Miami, you have Nigel Pack joining the team. Yeah. With uh, Texas. You've got a number of different guys. Number, I mean, the whole team is like transfers. Yeah. Marcus Carr was at Minnesota before Texas. Yeah. Timmy Allen was at Utah before Texas. Dylan DeSue was at Vanderbilt before Texas. Yeah. Um, Tyrese Hunter was at Iowa State, right? It's a, it's a very new team. Now, again, in that case, it's a lot of transfers who have been there multiple years. So maybe that's the thing. It's bringing in transfers and having them stay multiple years. But Arkansas has a bunch of new players, whether it's freshmen or transfers into the program from the portal. Uh, UConn has a couple key transfers. Gonzaga does. Like, you go down the list, it's, it's a key part of it. So, yes, you're, you're right. There is a certain line where you don't want to cross where yeah. it almost becomes like the Kentucky and Duke teams where they bring on all these freshmen that have to gel together in such a short period of time. A lot of times it doesn't work. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, look, look at their success in the tournament. And- I, the, the guy I always look at, and, and I know, like, yes, like disavow Chris Beard from a you know 
personal standpoint at this point. But Chris Beard had a lot of success from the basketball teams that he built. He was putting together teams filled with transfers that were one-year guys. The the Tech team that went to the uh, the title game in 2019, Matt Mooney was a transfer, one-year transfer from, I think he played like Air Force and then like South Dakota or something. Um, there was the kid from like St. John's, uh, I forget the name, like String Bean, super good chop blocker inside. Like they had a bunch of one-year transfers. They had a kid from like Florida on the team that I trust Bill Self to figure it out. But I do think it is something to keep in our back of our minds because when you look at the best Bill Self teams, they've been experienced in the system under yes. Bill Self. And also, Bill Self has proven to be a guy who's excellent at developing players, right? So, and, and again, we've seen it with him. With like We've seen both sides of it from the transfer portal with Bill Self. We've seen transfers work out really well, but we've also seen transfers who come in uh, as maybe more polished players that aren't maybe willing to adapt to the way Bill Self does things, right? We, we've seen it both ways. So it's just, a, it's just, I, I don't know. It feels to me like a little bit more of a, of a risk. But also, you look at, you look at Bobby Pettiford, you look at Zach Clements, and uh, and to uh, not not so much Joe, but those were guys that this year didn't really prove much, and even next year we're probably gonna have a hard time being impactful players. Yeah. Right. So it, it's it's disappointing to see those guys go, but also they were guys that, you know, probably weren't unless they made a huge jump, probably weren't going to be much more impactful. Yeah. So if you do go out and get, you know, a, a more veteran transfer player who is more more effective, then it, it looks like a win from that standpoint. Yeah, and I think, again, the theme for me here is this. Bill Self wants as much competition as possible. Bill Self would rather have guys at the end of the bench going, man, this stinks, why am I not playing, than he would turning to the bench and going, I don't trust any of you. You know, yeah, and I mean, that's you know, what this boils the down to. Circle of trust usually boils down to seven, eight guys, anyways. Right. But this year it was like five and a half yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, um, sort of six, but not really. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join us in about 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks. Brian Haney, who uh, now has been doing some baseball. You heard him last night for the KU-Missouri game with the season coming to a close for the KU basketball team. Um, and obviously uh, an earlier exit than we all would have liked and Kansas falling in the second round. Just looking back, though, still I think you'd have to say a successful season. It's been hard for teams that, that win a national title to repeat the next year, to even make it out of the first weekend, to make an Elite Eight and all these things. Um, so I guess reliving the positives of the season. Do you have a favorite memory or a favorite takeaway from this past season, despite the first weekend exit? Well, I think that uh, you're absolutely right that there were plenty of positive takeaways that sadly get lost in the you know early first weekend exit. It's, it's sad and cruel, but true that we remember these teams far too much for what they do in March, and we forget about the previous five months. History does anyways, and we'll probably look back on this particular season 15 or 20 years from now and just remember the fact that the best coach in basketball was out during the postseason and we fell short of our goals. We'll quickly forget the fact that they won the most competitive version of a Big 12 conference we've seen in 27 years of this conference's history, and they won it outright we'll probably forget to some degree how amazing Jalen Wilson was, that uh, he became the third player in the Bill Self era to average more than 20 points per game and became a first-team All-American and saw his name and number go up in the rafters as a result. History, sadly, 
far too heavily judges teams and remembers teams by the month of March only. And so the storyline for this team, sadly, will be the fact that we fizzled out early and, and didn't have the best close game coach of his generation in a game decided by the narrowest of margins in the around 32 in the March Madness tournament. So that's how they'll sadly be remembered. But like you said, there were plenty of great memories and moments along the way, going all the way back to the Bahamas and the Bobby Pettiford reverse lay-in at the buzzer to win that game to, you know, the, the great performance we saw in the champions classic where Grady Dick took over down the stretch and helped us beat Duke without Bill self. That was huge. And I'll think about the blowout in Columbia the blowout of Indiana. I mean, those were two huge non-conference games back-to-back where the Jayhawks really imposed their will and looked like the type of team that could be a favorite to return and uh, and defend their national title. And you talked about how tough it is for defending title teams. Not only have we not seen repeat champions since Florida in 06-07, we haven't seen a defending national champion make it past the Sweet 16 since 0607. So that's how tough it is. And just the fact that Self had this team back on the one line, you know, back, you know, in, in the winner's circle at the Big 12 conference race, you know, when you lose almost 75% of your scoring, it speaks to truly one of his greatest coaching jobs. And I'll hopefully remember and not go the way of history like so many of us do that prior to Coach Self's health scare, we were talking in Kansas City Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that week about how he should be National Coach of the Year. Nobody has picked up that narrative ever since he went out and didn't coach the last five games of our season, but many of us, not just in Kansas circles, but in national circles, were saying that he should be National Coach of the Year. Seth Davis said he already cast his ballot, and and hopefully we'll, we'll still get some of that love, but you forget about it when he doesn't wind up coaching any of the postseason games, but to lose everything that Kansas lost and to be right back in the thick of it in such a competitive year in the Big 12 and such a year of tremendous parity across college basketball really speaks to the awesome job that Coach Self and his staff did. And so those are some of the takeaways that I'll have, and I hope that our fans as a whole uh, can remember some of those other positives and not just the way it came to an abrupt and screeching halt in the postseason. A lot of players now have, have entered the transfer portal for Kansas, and Certainly seems like uh, there is going to be a, a big difference in what the roster looks like next season. Uh, what do you envision the biggest goal of this offseason to be for KU to get back to where they were in 2022? Well, we've done really well the last couple of years in having one home run portal edition. With Remy, it took until the bottom of the ninth inning for that ball to clear the fence, but it was a home run portal edition. As finally in the month of March, Remy Martin was who we thought he would be. Kevin was great from the jump, and he was a home run ad all season long. Realistically, we need a couple home runs hits in this portal class, and, and we might need three, honestly. I, I can't remember a year where you've had this much roster turnover, and there's more to come. You know, at the time of us having this conversation, there's four guys in the portal it seems like there's still more to come for Kansas. And so even though you're down a scholarship next year because of self-imposed sanctions and you're operating with 12, that's still potentially three guys lost to the NBA draft, four guys in the portal, four freshmen coming in, but you need three additions and, and you need one in the form of a big man since Cam and Zach both left. And, and right now you're operating with a, in terms of true bigs, like back to the basket, five men center types, you're operating with just, 
Ernest and Zuby. I know KJ plays that spot, but in terms of classic digs, you've got just two. And then Dylan Wilhite, uh, Joni Stevens' grandson, a walk-on that we didn't really get to see much of this year. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the most glaring elephant in the room or the lack of the elephant in the room, I guess, is the fact that we don't have any shooters left on campus at this point. And if I asked you who's our top perimeter shooter going to be right now for next season, you'd probably guess, you know, option none of the above. Because if we listed off the incoming freshmen or the returning players, chances are whoever they add in the portal will be a more established and more leaned upon shooting presence from the perimeter for Kansas. And the truth of the matter is you need two of those guys. So to me, uh, you know, three huge additions have to come in the form of, of transfer portal, immediate plug and play guys. And I'm talking about big time instant impact and, and huge impact type guys, not Jalen Coleman lands, Joe Yesifu types talking about guys that step in and, and, and average double figures and are playing 25 minutes a game, guys like that. And, you need one in the post and two on the perimeter. If you get those, I think Kansas has a great chance to be right back in the thick of it for the Big 12 title and right back on pace to, to be what we've been every single year of the Bill Self era, which is no lower than a four seed on Selection Sunday. Without doing well in the portal, suddenly that's brought into question a little bit because while Juan will be one of the best point guards in America and you expect Ernest to take another big leap forward, um, you know, you, you don't have that wing scoring and that perimeter shooting on campus right now. And so that, to me, is, is such a huge need. And it's going to be really fun and exciting to follow, and it's neat to look at some of the names already out there. But, uh, but we got to come through in a major way, and that's where you have to trust this coaching staff to be able to evaluate and sell uh, everything that Kansas has to sell. And with what we have to offer in terms of name, image, and likeness and what we have to offer in terms of opportunity with open minutes and shots to be had, playing for a Hall of Fame coach at a program that competes every year, I would think this is as attractive of a spot that, that any small forward or shooting guard could look at in the country. And, and even from a big man perspective, even though Ernest you know, looks to be a guy that will lean on heavily and KJ looks to have a starting spot locked up, if I'm a you know, big-time big man that has scoring prowess and, and rebound prowess in the post, I'm looking at Kansas, too, because opportunity seems to abound there as well. And so let's hope Kansas can go out and reel in at least three really big fish these next few weeks. Well, I've been asking all the guests we've had on this week to put a percentage on the chance that Grady Dick comes back. I said 10% earlier in the week. I think Nick had it 15 to 20. Uh, Matt Tate said around 25 to 30%. Shreyas Lada from the Kansas City Star yesterday we had on. He said it at, at 17.5%. Uh, Kevin Flaherty was in the teens as well. Uh, what percentage are, would you put on Grady Dick coming back? Wow. You know, it's, it's such a tough question because while it made total sense for Ochai and Jalen to come back because they could enhance their draft stock by 30 to 40 places, uh, depending on how well that next year went, with Grady – the, the margin of, of enhanced draft position might be five places, you know. And so th there's a lot more to lose than there is to gain. And I understand every Jayhawk fan listening to this show is probably in universal agreement that he would certainly benefit by an extra year of college seasoning, an extra year of Bill self-coaching. Certainly he would be more NBA game-ready after being – the alpha on this team all season long and his Kansas legacy 
would be forever cemented if he had a chance to come back and be a Big 12 player of the year type and have his number go up in the rafters and all that. We don't tend to remember the guys that were only here for a year or two like we do the guys that stay longer uh, and accomplish more. But the truth of the matter is most of those guys that left early left because there just wasn't a lot of room to grow in terms of draft positioning. And, yes, I understand we live in a different age of NIL, and he could make high, high six figures coming back next year as not just one of the most coveted and popular NIL options at Kansas, but in the nation in terms of the deals he could draw. I get that. But I think the earning potential for him at the next level is obviously exponentially higher. And the growth potential between a projected you know, top 14 pick right now and a guy that could maybe play his way into the top six or seven with an outstanding year if everything clicked next year, it's just not nearly the gap that, that Jay Will had from last year to this year or Oach had the year before. And so that's why it's tough. And that's why so many people are probably in that 10 to 15% chance range. I think based on his parents, based on his roots, based on the fact that, that there would be you know, value for him coming back to, to work on his overall NBA readiness, I won't be close-minded and say 5 to 10%. I'll give it closer to 15 to 20 And I guess that puts me in the, the Shreyas uh, 17.5 range. Let's, yeah. let's be creative with this. Let, let's say uh, jersey number was four, and uh, he had, I don't know how many games with uh, – you know, four plus threes. Let's take four times four and put it at sixteen percent for Behaney's prediction. All right, there we go. Uh, real quick before we do let you go, uh, football season is, I guess, in full force now, and we're in spring ball, spring showcase coming up in in a few weeks. Here, what to you is the biggest storyline about spring football this year? Offensive line. We look so good and so deep, so talented, so big and physical. You know, on the edges with with the tackle enforcements that have come in, but also you know on the two deep, you know, and so I, I'm just really jazzed to think about all the skill position talent that returns, but now way better protection and more depth and breadth of that protection should injuries pile up for Jalen Daniels, you know, to to have these guys blocking for him out front, and when you look at, you know, some of the year old grown men that have transferred in from Wisconsin and Cal, but then a kid like Clemens from Free State that has a chance to learn from those guys. It's just really, really exciting to think about you know what that O line is going to look like. We had a chance on Tuesday to hear from Logan Brown, who's the Wisconsin edition, and uh, I mean grown man, six six, three twenty, but really mature and really impressive with all of his really thoughtful answers and responses as to why he picked KU and why this was the right fit and some of the things that are different about the culture here, some of the things that are different about the way Coach Fuchs coaches the offensive line that he calls innovative and, and game-changing. And that, that's coming from a guy that played at a high, high level at the Big Ten level. And then today with a chance to talk to Spencer Lavelle, 6'6", 330, uh, a kid that you know came most recently from Cal but was at Arizona State before that, I thought he was really mature. And so to have these, you know, twenty three year old grown men that are mountains of men, uh, protecting Jalen Willis Jalen Daniels, excuse me. Uh, stop me if you've made that mistake before with two five star <laughs> studs on campus, both named Jalen. Uh, to have two guys like that protecting Jalen at quarterback, but then, you know, starting to get some of these really high profile 
high school seniors like Calvin Clements to come in, 6'7", 310, who is showing right away he belongs, showing right away he's going to be a star at this level eventually. Uh, but he can study under the aforementioned Browns and Lavelles of the world. That has me most excited. And, yes, we've got some guys uh, on the defensive tackle depth chart that have jumped off the page. Linebacking depth looks better than it's been in all three years of the Lance Leipold era. But to me, when you already had such a, a gifted group of skill position offensive players, and now you have your deepest and most talented offensive line you've had, man, Jalen Daniels must be licking his chops right now, thinking about what he could accomplish in the season ahead and the additional time he's going to have to throw and, and the weapons he gets to throw it to. That's what's got me most jacked right now about spring ball. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You'll be able to hear him on the broadcast of that uh, spring showcase coming up in just a few weeks from right now. Brian, before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. Yeah, you know, we are grateful for Nate Miller these last couple of years for sponsoring these weekly reports on Rock Shock Sports Talk. And he's uh, helping me with my financial future. He can do the same for you, whether you've got a current portfolio or not. He'll sit down and analyze what the best next steps are for you for the most stable and lucrative financial future. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Guys, thanks so much for great coverage all season. I'm uh, certainly happy to come on again the next couple of weeks if you want to. We should definitely do one before the spring showcase on April 7th. But uh, let's, let's definitely plan on more reports. And thank you again for everything. It's, it's hands down my favorite sports talk show on the airwaves, not just because I love both you and Nick, but uh, because you guys do it better than anybody. You cover this program and this, this athletic department as well as anybody ever has including my 10 years of, of running this show. So keep up the great work. Know how much I appreciate you. And uh, here's hoping we got even more fun to come in the year ahead. It didn't end the way we wanted it to this year. But, but just imagine next year with football and basketball both rolling at the same time again, how much fun we're going to have. So here's to that, and, and big thanks to both of you for making this possible these last six months. Well said. Very kind words. That is Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We have uh, one hour down, one to go. We're out early today at 5 o'clock. Westwood One coverage going to take over at 5 o'clock for uh, all your Sweet 16 action that's going on tonight. We will... Uh, Switch over from Westwood One coverage to the KU women's basketball game. Pre-game for that, 6.15, tip-off at 6.30. They're in the women's NIT. I think it's called the Grade 8 as they uh, are hosting the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And then once that game ends, we'll go back to uh, Westwood One coverage. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 4 o'clock hour. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, we're going to uh, discuss the transfer portal, the latest, with KU as we go into the transfer portal. Okay, sorry. I, I, you were trying to communicate with me, and I didn't realize what you are trying no, to say. No, you're fine. Into the transfer portal. A fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call 
the transfer portal. All right, into the transfer portal we go. So uh, we are going to be discussing a couple different players that have maybe entered the transfer portal that we've seen uh, that, that Kansas has maybe reached out to or there's been some sort of interest shown. Um, we're also going to talk about a couple maybe, I don't know, that, that maybe keep an eye on just in case of like, hey, these are good players. Like, what if that happens? And then uh, I do have one player that I am going to put on my no more talk about list. Because I don't okay. want to talk about it anymore. Also, I listen. I've never been great in my entire life with hand signals and things like that, so I apologize. No, you're okay. Okay. Like people, people will try to like communicate me via hand signal. I just, I just, if you try to do that, you're. I'm sorry. It's not no, gonna happen. You're fine. Okay. So these, these are all ones that we're gonna go through here that have reported interest or some sort of reaching out that KU has reached out to them. Now, to what degree we don't know. They, we, we've seen this before where. Um, maybe KU reaches out to a player just to gauge interest, or maybe KU reaches out to a player, and maybe even if they they do get to a point where they're like, you know, we like you, it might be, hey, we're we're offering you a scholarship, but it's dependent on if this other guy does not come here. Yeah. We've seen that and, before, and also in the portal, sometimes it's not always official. Sometimes it's sometimes it's not even stuff. true. Yeah, there's also been times I forget the name of the kid, but there was a kid who, um said his like final list it just came out of nowhere it was like kansas and like two other schools and the two other schools were were very different than kansas to say the least (laughs) and he ended up picking the other school and it was one of those situations where this happens sometimes at this level where like when you're a school like kansas or kentucky or duke a kid might just go out there and be like yeah i've heard from kansas or x even if they have not just to make the list look better or maybe try to get other coaches to reach out to them when it's not true mm. because they know deep down that the the school is not going to come out publicly. The coach is not going to come out publicly and be like, that's not true. I didn't reach out to them or I didn't reach out to that kid because yeah, it's just bad PR if you do kinda, it, right? Yeah, it's kind of messed up. It's like, so, oh, that guy sucks. We didn't exactly. talk to him. Well, I mean, it's, reached out, it's messed up too that the kid would do that and say that somebody reached yeah. out when they didn't. So yeah. that does happen too. Yeah. So take these, I guess, with a, a little bit of a grain of salt. Um but here's ones that have been reported interest by different avenues, uh, with with at least Kansas reaching out to some degree. Nick Timberlake, he is a six foot four, two hundred pound point guard. He is ranked seventh on three, uh, which is kind of one of the newer recruiting sites. Has like a, a transfer rankings that they've been updating, so that's kind of nice. He is number seven. He's a sixth year player. He has one year left of school, so older veteran player. That's always, I think, something you look for when you bring in transfers, right? Uh, for KU specifically, because you're going to bring in your younger players are going to be your you know four and five star recruits you bring in. So get some experience out of the transfer portal. Uh, last year he was at Towson, which was like a top one twenty five Ken Palm team last year. Not great team, but um, you of course, do have, Towson will be remembered for right. that was the school that Frank Mason was committed to, right? Before yeah, that's right. To so I guess it's worked before. Yeah, seventeen point seven points per game, three point nine rebounds, two point four assists. Here's the big one. 41.6% from three, also 845 from the foul line. Oh. As you're looking at players down this list, players that can score, players that can create their own shot, players that can hit three-point shots, that is of utmost importance. Also, you know, players that can defend well. You do have to worry about how does he translate from Towson to the University of Kansas, and that is a question here. 
But the one thing that you you feel like should translate, because for his career, he's at 38% from three in five seasons. In the last two seasons, he's over 40% against tier A and B opponents, which Ken Palm defines as top 100 opponents. He is 46% from three last year. You feel like that is at least a skill set that can transfer over to some degree that he can at least, you know, whether he would be good enough to be a starter if it doesn't translate up or does or not, he's at least somebody who you feel like could come off the bench and fire some threes for you. Yeah, you like the sound of that, right? I mean, yeah. if you're if you're going to lose Grady Dick, which for all intents and purposes, it sounds like you will, that's a good chunk of your shooting, right? And this was a team that at times even we talked about we felt like there was a lack of shooting. Well, now you lose the only guy that was a shooter. So then you're looking, you're going from a lack of shooting to no shooting potentially for the team next year. So you want to make sure that that's a high priority of getting guys that can that can shoot from the outside. That one's certainly interesting. Uh, this one I think would be very interesting, but I don't know the likelihood it would happen. Walter Clayton Jr., he is a guard from Iona, 6'3 guard, kind of a point guard, combo guard type, so you could play him next to Dewan Harris. He is a true junior, so you'd have multiple years of him left. He was really good at Iona last year. I think he was the uh, MAC or the MAC uh, player the of the year. MAC? Yeah, the M-A-A-C. Uh, 16, what is that? A Mid-America what? Metro, Mid- oh, Metro, Metro Athletic Atlantic American, Athletic Conference? Metro, Metro Athletic American Something like that. 16.8 <laughs> points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game, 1.8 steals. And here's the kicker, 43.1% from three, 95.3% at the foul line. Holy cow. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty very good. good. Uh, here's it's not his, that good. I mean, let's not get too uh, crazy. Here. It's not that good. Here's his, here's his games against tier A, comp, tier A and B competition. Again, top 100 teams on Kenpom. 13 of 26 from three. That'll play. 19 of 19 from the foul line. He also played UConn in the NCAA tournament, which UConn's a pretty good team. He had 15 points. On 10 shots, 3 of 6 from 3, he had 4 assists, 4 rebounds. So he was a good player in that game. Yeah, yeah. This one, to me, feels like a player that would have a bigger impact that I would be less worried about how does he transfer up a level, whereas with Nick Timberlake, there's a part of me that wonders. There's some KU fans who will remember this name. I don't know if you remember this name. Joe Cremo. He was a like 18-point-per-game scorer at like Albany or something. And he transferred up, and he was talking about possibly going to um, – I know Kansas was on the short list. He ended up going to Villanova. Yeah, I remember that. And he ended up like only playing 15 minutes a game off the bench. He would just come in to try to hit some threes. Could that be like what Nick Timberlake gives you? Or if he does transfer up, then then maybe he does give you more there. With Clayton Jr., I feel like he would be somebody that you feel confident in, could play a big role for your team and be good. But obviously there's the whole issue of he might just follow Rick Pitino. Yes, there's the issue. St. John's, which actually I think it was reported today. And he is today. visiting yeah, St. John's next week. I was about to say, it was reported today that he's going to be visiting St. John's. Feels so that one, like... That one could yeah. be a quick nope. Yep. Feels like an obvious connection that that's going to be what happens there. I don't know how to pronounce this, the the last name of this. Wojcik? Pa- Paxson Wojcik? Wojcik, yeah. Uh, he Maybe. is from Brown. Six foot five. O-J-C-I-K. Yeah. Six five, 200 gu- pound guard. He's ranked 13th with on three. Fifth year player. He, he has the COVID year, so he can play another year. Uh, last year, Brown, 15 points per game. Good rebounder for his size. Seven rebounds per game, but obviously, you go up in competition, that number is going to drop significantly at six foot five. Uh, 3.2 assists per game, 1.3 steals per game. 
And again, the kicker, good three-point shooter. Not as good as those other two guys, though. 38% from three, 69% at the foul line versus tier A and B competition, 33% from three. He did spend two years at Loyola Chicago before Brown, and he was above 40% from three both years. Is kind of just a three-point specialist. He's definitely somebody that I would look at that said, if you're adding him, he's probably coming in to be a three-point specialist that's probably coming off the bench. With Timberlake, I view it as like, that's probably the role, but the potential is there that it could be more. With Clayton, I view it as being like, you could play like starter-level minutes, but I think when you look at all three of those guys, the common theme there is three-point shooting. And guards. Yes. Which, again, with losing now Joe and Bobby, like we talked about at the top of the show, that that it's almost like that becomes a bit more of a priority. It does. Now, those guys are, with, with Clayton, he is kind of a combo guard. Timberlake and, and Wojcik, I don't know if they're more combo guards or like two, three types. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. Davion McKnight, he would certainly fit the billing of being like a point guard combo guard where he could maybe be a backup to Dwan, maybe play next to him at times, uh, depending what happens, you know, El Marco Jackson. He's 22nd with on three, less of a, a, a three-point shooter, more of just an overall guard. Um, From Western Kentucky. Yeah, Western Kentucky. This is going to be his fourth year of college next year, so experience, but because of the COVID year, he'll be a junior. So he does have two years left to play. That is a nice bonus. And last Which, year at Western like, Kentucky. Like we highlighted, some of the best transfers have been guys that have transferred and for another year. stuck around for another year. Or two. Yep. Like that's the entire Texas lineup. Yep. Uh, so 16.5 points per game, 5 rebounds per game, 3.8 assists, 1.8 steals, about 46% from the floor, 34% from three. Free throw shooting sometimes can be an indicator that you might be even a better shooter, that you show touch there. 84% at the free throw lines, so that's good. Uh he also shot 34% from three the previous season at over 16 points per game. So uh, maybe he's someone that, you know, he's he's been asked to do a lot on the ball and, and creating his own for Western Kentucky. You come to Kansas, the more of those shots come off the ball, maybe the percentage goes up. Obviously, you do have to worry about transferring up. But I will say, the level of play to go from, because Western Kentucky's in the Conference USA, to uh, the Big 12, that's it's still a, a gap to make that jump, but it's it's not as big of a gap as, as like say the to, from Towson, right? From Towson. the CAA, yeah, exactly. So that's the positive. And also, Conference USA is doing really well this postseason. Yes, yes. they have they two have teams in the FAU. final four of the NIT. Yep, they have FAU FAU's in the Sweet Sixteen. They have some uh, team won the Charlotte. CBI. Yeah, Charlotte won the CBI, and then North Texas and UAB. UAB. Mm-hmm are two teams that are both uh, still in the NIT right. also. So clearly not close to the competition of the Big 12, but, no, but you know. much, like we said, much much smaller jump than some of those other guys. So he would be well, one North, that's North Texas beat Oklahoma State earlier this week to advance yeah. in NIT. Now I will say, in regards to some of these guys, I get the sense that KU is more interested in guys coming from other Power 5 schools than they are coming from non-Power 5s or, or non-Power 6s, whatever, if you want to include the Big East. Because I think they've gone through this just recently. Joe Yasufu, Cam Martin, maybe not working as well, not getting these. And then all of a sudden, the guys that have worked recently, you look at, um, obviously, Kevin McCuller this year came from another Big 12 school. Yep. You look at Remy Martin Remy Martin last year, which you know it didn't work till the end, but it very much did work when it did. Came from back 12 school. You look at even Diedrich Lawson, which I know that's not a... Like, for the sake of power conferences, the AAC is close enough, and he put up such ridiculous stats, but also he sat out a year. So I, I think they're more interested that if they are going to bring on 
again, one of these players, maybe it would be more of a role guy. Whereas if they're looking for somebody to come in and be a starter, yeah. they would look more to those. And I will say there are some rumblings and some words about maybe some different wings that 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 are out there that they've kind of poked the um I don't know, the interest meter on uh from some different schools that uh I trying to think how uh how in depth I want to get here. I would just say there's a couple good players out Some there. Some non-official that, yeah, stuff. Yes. Yet. Yeah. But kind of going back to what you're saying about these guys is it, it goes back to me. It goes back to, you know, hey, if we're gonna clean house and really rely on the portal here to to fill out some some needs on the roster, it, are you willing to potentially experiment with a guy coming up from a lower level that you at a at a position that you need to have an impact right away, right? Like, are you willing to like, but you know, and it. An example would be, you know, if let's say you do get a guy from a lower level, are you willing to potentially endure some maybe some growing pains or, uh, you know, not immediate impact that you might get from a guy coming from the same level? And that's not to say that every single guy that transfers from a lower level to a high level can't be an impact right away, but that's certainly more of a concern, right? Yeah. More and it, and again, are you willing to experiment with that? Are you willing to take that risk? Well, I definitely think if you if you bring them in with the idea that they could compete for a role off the bench or something, it makes you more likely to be like, yeah, we're fine risking that, right? Exactly. Because then if they develop into a starter, then it's like, okay, even better. But yeah. if you're if you're Kansas and right now, you know, it's looking like you're going to be looking for potentially two, maybe three starters, guys that need to be starters coming from the portal. Yep. Can you afford to potentially risk that on on somebody who's coming from a lower level? Which is why I view it uh, for the guys they're going to bring in as starters, most likely from those like Power Six or Power Seven universities, or you just had to be that good. Which brings us to our next side. This is the wish list portion, which okay. I haven't heard anything about interest from from KU one way or another. Uh, maybe they are. These are just guys that, just not that reported. But we've seen that yeah. you really like. And this is one that's not from one of those Power Six universities, but I think. Is just been so good that it's it, it's probably worth the uh, possible risk here. Graham Ek, he is a uh, big man from Wyoming. He missed the entirety of this past season. Um, I don't know what the injury was. Yeah. yeah, it was some sort of injury. But this kid is really good. Six nine, two hundred fifty five pound center. He's the number three overall transfer available right now with on three. He academically will be a senior this year, but I would assume he's going to get a medical redshirt for this last year. He also had the COVID year, so that would technically make him a fourth-year sophomore. So you could have three more years of this kid, but he's experienced. And the last season we saw him play was for a Wyoming team. that, And Wyoming, like, never makes the NCAA tournament. They had the one <laughs> year with, like, Larry Nance, like, a decade ago. But outside of that, it's not a basketball school at all. He helped them go to the NCAA tournament. They went to the first four. They lost a, a close-ish game to Indiana. For that team, he averaged 19.5 points per game, 9.6 rebounds per game, 51% from the floor. He wasn't great shooting threes, but at least he showed the ability to shoot them, 27% from three, that maybe there's something there. Because if you're going to play a big man next to KJ Adams, it'd be nice if he could like occasionally shoot a three, right? That You could stretch yeah, it a little. Potentially. 71% at the foul line, so good there. And the last game that we saw him play in college, so as I mentioned, they played Indiana. What does Indiana have? Trace Jackson Davis. He's an All-American big man. He put up 17-9 and nine against him. So that's that's, that's one good. of the guys where it's like, yeah, he's not a power five, that I would feel confident in him translating to the, hey, the, also, the high level. Also, I didn't realize this, but uh, Far, Fardaz Amac. Amac, yeah, Texas he's available. Tech, he, he went into the portal as well. I didn't realize that. You don't like Fardaz Amac, though. Do you want I him don't. on KU? Do I like him? 
I don't I remember. You didn't. Oh, I don't like him. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember. I probably don't like him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I just, I just was looking at the at some of the guys in the top rankings and noticed that he was in there. Yeah. And I had not seen the news that he was in. Yep, he is in there. I don't know why. I just don't see him as like a Bill Self big man. Neither do I. And also, like, he, I mean. I get the sense that maybe he might be kind of wishy-washy because yeah. remember earlier in the year he was like gonna go yep. into the portal and then he, and he like already had transferred changed to his mind. I, or I don't really know what happened, but he ended up coming back. And like, well, I don't know yeah. if he's gonna have to sit out a year. The, the NCAA just released a new thing yesterday, basically saying we're not gonna give you a free transfer if your coach leaves or you know this or that. So basically, you have to be like a graduate, which he might be, he might not be. I don't know. Yeah, but no, like I think no, thank you though. The the other part of it is that. Um, with with Amac, I didn't really get the sense from watching him that he was like this great back to the basket big man. No, which if KU is going for a big man, that's if they probably do, what they would want. I, exactly, because you already have like the imposing force for blocks and rebounds with, with, with Uday and yeah. Zuby and stuff, right? So if yeah, you're going to get sure. someone, get someone who's skilled offensively, who's, which I think has EK a more is. polished uh, yeah. back to the basket. Well, game. I remember uh, there was a, a story written from CJ Moore, really good piece in the Athletic about Wyoming that year that they were. They were inverting the game. Everybody was going to these spread three-point games, and Wyoming did the complete opposite. They, to the max, started posting guys up. So you know this guy is used to posting up a lot. Uh, another guy, this guy just entered, kind of interesting to me. I, I don't think this would be at a starting level, but maybe again in that kind of like bench role. Uh, Quincy Olivari, he's a 6'2 point guard. Maybe he would be a guy that competes with El Marco Jackson for the starting spot, if not comes off the bench. He's a fifth-year senior with a COVID year. Reason why, he is Rice's all-time leader in three-point makes. 38% career from three on 5.9 attempts per game. Uh, he's just a really good shooter. That's very interesting. Yeah. And again, any I feel like at this stage for Kansas, Anytime the word shooting pops up, you've got to perk your ears up and, and, and at least look into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this Jamin Brakefield guy from Ole Miss that is kind of interesting here. Uh, he was at Duke, then transferred to Ole Miss, about 11 points, five, six rebounds a game, can shoot from three, 35%. But I don't know with that new rule, because this will be his second time transferring if he's going to get a free waiver, so kind of keep that one in your back pocket. But he could make sense to maybe play the four role, six foot eight. And then uh, here's the last one that I think just is of interest. I don't think he'd be a great fit necessarily. He's yeah. only six one. Probably not great to have two tiny guards next to each other with with Dewan and Jermaine Nelson. They had, they had three tiny guards this year, really. Yeah, but they didn't really play a ton next to each other. Um, there were certain times where they did, I guess, but it wasn't like an overwhelming majority. No, no. So Jameer Nelson Jr. He can shoot it a little bit, but he's not a great three-point shooter. 31% career from three. Part of that, though, he's been having to create his own threes off the dribble. Uh, but he averaged over 20 points per game last year, over almost two and a half steals. So that'd be a fun backcourt with with him and Dewan getting steals. I don't love the fit necessarily, and he has not done well against higher-level competition. 28% from three versus tier A and B. Uh, he was in the tournament last year and had eight points on three of 13 shooting against Villanova. But, you know... I, I wouldn't hate it either, right? I think those would be on my wish list. That one I'm a little cooler on. The one guy I'm like, no, thank you. Okay. I saw a lot of KU fans on Twitter being like, oh, he'd be a great fit. Like, Kirk Carissa. Okay. Entered the portal. Arizona point guard. You look at the pure stats and you're like, oh, nine, ten points per game, about five assists per game on an Arizona team that was a two seed and a one seed the last two years. You're like, okay, great. Let's do it. Let's. I think he's like 6'3", so you could play him next to Dwan and feel like you're 6'1", 6'3", if they are playing next to each other. But... I'll, I'll say this. There's a reason he's number 39 on the, the on three transfer, uh, despite the fact of, of his pedigree. 
He is a good three-point shooter. He's a good facilitator. Okay. Yep. So those things would be fine fits. But he's also a chucker and does not not an efficient player. He has shot 37% and 35% from the floor the last two seasons. And here he is the ultimate guy who is known for being like, he starts 0-7, he's going to keep chucking. Or he'll start a game, you know, 5 for 8, and then he'll miss his last four shots in the clutch. Or the other way around, he'll start 0 for 9, and then he'll hit his last two shots to win you the game. And it's a very up-and-down, frustrating approach. But here's his NCAA tournament career. 3 for 24. All of those are three-point shots. He is in three NCAA tournament games. He's attempted zero two-point shots, zero free throws. He has three of 24 from three-point range. That's 12.5%. He has scored nine points in three games compared to nine fouls, eight turnovers to four assists. No, thank you. Bad. So, yeah, not very good. And also, uh, I've heard, that, don't he, bring him up I've heard that he that he doesn't play a very good defense either, which could be... Ah, the cherry uh, on top. Yeah. Listen, I'm not trying to, trying to crap on the kid. I know I just kind of did. <laughs> I'm sure he, he can go somewhere and be a good fit somewhere, you know? Yeah, I don't yeah. think that fit is Kansas and Bill Self. Sure. Yeah, no, I understand that. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, Sweet 16 that's going on tonight. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer here, and uh, we are going to get into a fun little draft, a points draft for the uh Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend here in our next segment. We'll preview the game, and we've got some more superlatives that we're going to get to for uh, this weekend with the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. But, guys, it is all about confidence, whether you're picking your bracket and, uh, you know, having all your favorite upset picks and going to the water cooler and feeling confident about uh, the upset pick you have or, or confidence knowing you'll be ready to go when your partner is, confidence knowing you'll be able to go a few extra rounds when needed, confidence what you get with the chewables, from BlueChew.com. Process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Best part, it is all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. And if you don't like swallowing pills, no problems here. They are chewable. They also have their Vardenafil mint-flavored chewables with the active ingredient in Levitra and Staxon, so you can stay fresh as well. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code RCST at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code RCST to receive your first month for free. So we got the uh, East region and the West region tonight going down in the Sweet 16. The FAU-Tennessee <coughs> game, I... It's like simultaneously like, wow, that could be interesting, but also like... Could be terrible. Bleh. Yes, 100%. Because if Tennessee mucks up the game, it's going to be gross. Then it's... Bleh. Yeah. Now, I will say, I, I feel like... I, I said this about them beating Duke. Tennessee is the perfect team to throw in there against a team who's really talented... But maybe is is like like Duke is, but they're young and they're not like the most mesh team, and you know. Yeah, but is FAU like that? But see, okay, that's they, they FAU's the opposite. Wins. FAU is the type of team that like they don't have a bunch of first round picks on their roster. No, the reason they're there 
is not because they have a bunch of high-end talent that maybe has not meshed together as a team. Yeah. It's because they execute really well. They've got experienced players. Um, they're just an older team. They yeah. execute things well. They slice you up a little bit more. That's the style to me that beats Tennessee. When they're 41st in the country in three-point percentage, two-point percentage, they don't get shots blocked, they don't turn it over, they're pretty good at offensive rebounding, they're really good defending inside the rim from two. Yeah. I I think this is the type of team that just a lot of people are picking Tennessee. You're picking FAU? I'm picking FAU. Okay. Lock it in. Going to the upset. Lock it in. And then you have Kansas State versus Michigan State. Yeah, which that's a tough matchup for, a very me, tough. for me personally. but Yeah. I really don't know who I'm going to pick in this game because Kansas State looked so good, but also I always thought they were kind of a matchup problem for Kentucky because Kentucky can't defend ball screens. Yeah, Kansas State has Marquise Noel. Michigan State just defended ball screens really well and spreading out the floor against Marquette. Marquette. And what does Michigan State have? They have Tyson Walker, who is a, a good defensive point guard, also puts up 14 a game. He should be able to limit Marquise Noel at least a little bit. Yeah. And this is yeah. this is Tom Izzo time. And now, not only okay. is it Tom Izzo time, but everybody's picking Kansas State. Pump the brakes on the Tom Izzo stuff. But I agree with you. <laughs> I think I might be going Michigan State FAU. I'm going to go with Michigan State for obvious reasons. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Michigan State, please. Okay. And then in the There's West region. a bigger region. Spartan fan tonight. Okay. In the West region, we get Arkansas-UConn. I, this could be a really good game because you, yeah. you have athletically the two I teams it, can match up. I think it could up. be a great game, but also what if Arkansas just plays like they did against Kansas in the first 10 minutes but for the whole game yeah, that's where the they thing. can't score? I get some sneaking suspicion that UConn might just like blow them out because both teams have good defenses. Arkansas is 15th in the country. UConn's 14th. Both teams have, have really athletic players. UConn has the better big men, uh, both with Klingon and Sonogo. But Arkansas, we saw, they, they don't really hit shots. No. And they can stall sometimes offensively. Yeah. And unlike Kansas, where at times they couldn't defend the rim over and over again, UConn's going to be able to because they have those good big men. And yeah. when you look at it, UConn is 20th in the country in two-point defense. They're 24th in block rate defensively. I could see UConn stifling Arkansas, and because their offense is just a lot better, they just kind of have like a ho-hum 12-15 point win. Could be. Could easily be. Yeah. And UConn, even even before the tournament, was people's kind of pick to potentially make it out of the West. And yeah. I feel like that's even more so now. So I think most people went on UConn. But like you said, I, I think it is possible. Like, I think this ought to be a close game or UConn is going to win pretty easily. I don't I don't see Arkansas having a comfortable game in this. Yeah. And then you have Gonzaga-UCLA, which is a fun one. It's a rematch of the Final Four a couple of years ago. It's a rematch yeah. of the Adam Morrison Sweet 16 game. Yep. So Gonzaga, you have the best offense in the country. UCLA, you have the second best defense. Gonzaga's defense, not very good. It hasn't cost them yet. UCLA's offense, not as good, but they're still 21st in the country. Gonzaga's defense kind of tried cost to cost them against, them CCU. against CCU. And yeah. they were in a game at, at halftime with Grand Canyon, but yeah. they ended up winning both. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, I feel like so so often, so frequently, when you're in a close game, that is when the difference between having like a an average to bad defense versus a great defense is most noticeable, right? Like that situation where it's like a two point game, there's two minutes left and you absolutely have to have a stop on that specific possession. 
that to me is when you see the separation between great great defenses and average defenses. And that's why that's where I think if this game is still close late and if Gonzaga doesn't have like a six point lead with two minutes left, I think UCLA will probably win. Yeah. The way I view this is to me, if UCLA's guys are healthy enough, I think they win because of that defense, because they slow it down enough that it makes things difficult on Gonzaga trying to get out in the open court. But there are two big injuries. I mean, we already know Jalen Clark's out for UCLA. Adam Bona's questionable. Their big man who did play last week, but I guess he's questionable again. David Singleton, who is like a knockdown three-point shooter, like rolled his ankle at the end of their game against Northwestern. I think he's going to be fine. I saw him like walking off the court after that game. But if he's not and Bona's out too, then they're probably screwed. I mean, that's a lot of firepower to be missing. But if they're healthy, healthy enough, I kind of like UCLA. That I think is yeah. is the game I'm most excited about tonight, though. Which sucks because it's the late, it's the night, yeah. time, right? So it's like nine o'clock bedtime. Tip. Yeah, that's so annoying. All right, some fun uh, superlatives to go over here. Okay, who is the best player left in each region? In the South, it's probably Brandon Miller for Alabama. In the Midwest, it's. I guess Sasser. I don't. I mean, there's not really anybody from Texas. I think you could argue. I would throw with, with Brandon Miller. I think you're right, but what if it ends up being Ryan Kalkbrenner? It could be. Definitely could be. He impacts so much on both ends of the court, Definitely and, and Miller's be. dealing with some sort of injury. I think groin, maybe. Yeah, Houston in the, in the East. It's. I guess it's Noel. I mean, I don't know. Nobody from. FAU, I think it is Marquise Noel. And in the West, the West is probably the toughest one because you've got. Couple UConn big men. Yeah, you've got Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy. You've got Hakez for UCLA, UCLA. A couple other guys. See, yeah, I, mean, I mean, if it's just offensively, it's Drew Timmy. But also, there are some defensive issues there that you could argue Sonogo. You could argue, yeah, Jaime Hakez potentially. Yeah. Okay, uh, who is the most likely non-top three seed to make a Final Four? So four or higher. I would say Creighton, but the fact that they have to play Alabama potentially in the Elite Eight makes me lean towards Michigan State. Because Michigan State's going to get K-State and then either FAU or Tennessee. That's much easier, obviously, than what Creighton might get. Even though I think Creighton is better and I like Creighton more. I just think that the fact that they have to go up against Alabama in their second matchup doesn't doesn't bode well for Yeah, them. I definitely think the one you would pick the last might be Miami or Arkansas. Or FAU. I don't know. I, don't know. You think FAU I, might, has a good I might be on board. Um, I, I think it actually is Creighton for me. Because think about it this way. Who has yeah, the best chance to Bama. make the but who has the best chance to even make the Elite Eight? Like FAU and Tennessee are in kind of a coin flip game. Or I guess Tennessee's out. I guess Tennessee might be, because it's a four seed. Michigan State is in a coin flip game whether they even make the Elite Eight. And then you have another coin flip game. Creighton would have a coin flip game in the Elite Eight, but that should not be a coin flip game against Princeton. And what if San Diego State upsets Alabama? Yeah, but it's not the question of which team has the best chance to make it the Elite Eight. It's which team has the best chance to make it the Final Four. But you have to make the Elite Eight to make the Final Four. Okay, but I think Michigan State, if they make the Elite Eight, it's easier. Obviously. I'm just saying, I think if you add up the percentages of having to win both games, Creighton's probably better. I, I don't disagree. I think Creighton's okay. better. I think Creighton is right. I'm going Creighton Creighton. a good chance. I'm going Creighton. But I just think that US, you said which has the best chance. I don't think Creighton has the best chance. Most likely non-top six seeds. This would get rid of Creighton to make the Final Four. Michigan State? That's either Michigan State or Florida Atlantic. That's the it. thing with Arkansas, Arkansas is that's a tough path to get through. Like, they have yeah, the no. talent. Yeah, no. Not Arkansas. I guess Michigan State. Yeah, I guess Michigan I guess State Michigan as well. State. Don't want to go Princeton? No. Which one seed loses first, Alabama or Houston? What if it's neither till the championship game? Well, then it'd be whoever you think wins the championship game. 
Or it would be the opposite because who loses first? So it would be who you think loses in the championship. Man, I, I don't Eventually, know. Eventually, one has to lose. <laughs> <laughs> what if they just, what if it was like Call the Hunger Games? That, the Hunger Games where Katniss and what's saves, face? Uh, yeah, they save each other and they're like, you know what? We're both going to win. Pita? Like pita yeah, bread? Pita. Yeah. Pita bread? It's not Peter. It's Pita. Yeah. Um, and then they just both win. Yeah. They, they, they slice the championship trophy in half. Everybody's happy. It's a tie game with 30 seconds. And Imagine like, if you know what, we sports had that, shot. where people were like, you know what? We, we, we both had, the purpose of sports. We both had great seasons. We both had great seasons. Why don't we just both go out on top? No. <laughs> um, I will say I think Houston has the easier Sweet 16 game. I think Miami kind of plays into what they want to do. Like they, I don't know. I think they're going to cause issues with their toughness. Um, but I guess Miami could just go bonkers from three, and who knows. But I also think that Houston has the tougher Elite Eight game if it's Texas, not if it's Xavier. Because I think Creighton actually, I don't know, that scares me. Even though Creighton's worse than Xavier in their own conference. Um, I will say that Alabama loses before Houston. Okay. Which I feel like for a lot of people it's opposite. Yeah. Houston did not so. look great in the first weekend. No. Which coach has the most to gain this weekend? This, to me, is a very, very fascinating question. Because I think there are a lot of options you could go with. Well, so like San Diego State, like they're playing with house money, right? Same with Princeton. Exactly. You know Princeton, what I mean? FAU, San Diego State. Yeah. Like those guys, like those coaches might have a chance to, if they advance further, maybe coach themselves and do like a power five job. But like I don't Jim know Laranaga, the game. everybody already knows he's a good coach and he's like seventy seven. He's not going to so another job. I, I'm gonna I'm him. gonna give you three I'm gonna give you four teams. Okay. Four coaches. Well, yeah. No, five coaches maybe. Rodney Terry from Texas. It sounds like Texas was. If they keep winning, they might start to consider him as. If he a, makes final four, coach. you can't I don't, I don't not hire him. I, right? I don't understand why they aren't already considering him for considering what he's done. So the chance to possibly coach his way to the actual head coaching job for Texas—that's a lot to gain, I mm-hmm. think. I think Dan Hurley has a lot to gain from UConn because mm-hmm. of the fact that this is the first time making out of the first weekend, a chance to you know really prove himself. I think Mark Few has a lot to gain here because. I mean, listen, for all the great teams Gonzaga's had, what do they have to show for it? No titles. I can tell you that. Right? So this is another good opportunity to maybe make a For me, I think there's a very obvious one. I do I I, I I don't want to skip over what? Eric Musselman. He's made back to back Elite Eights. If they lose in the Elite Eight a third straight year, it's I don't think that's that bad though. Then again, they weren't expected to make it the last two years. So I don't know. Okay, I think the obvious one is Rick Barnes. It's Rick Barnes. Okay, that's the last one I was gonna get to. Yeah. That's how I was going to get you because here's Brackets a guy open. who here's a guy who you know is sort of has a stigma of he sucks in March, and you're right now he's got certifiably the easiest region in front of him, and he gets FAU and either K State or Michigan State. Yep, you got to make a Final Four. Yeah, but, if, but on the flip side, he might also have the most to lose. From he him. might because if might. he loses like the FAU. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, you could Nate Oates if he makes a Final Four and does that at Alabama. I don't think he, I don't think that he has he a lot to gain lot, in terms though. of. I think he is very clearly like in that upper echelon of coaches at that point. Sure. Um, okay. Like, who, same thing with Mick Cronin, I guess. Which yeah, which school do you think would be most disappointed to lose specifically in the Sweet Sixteen? Mm, Houston or Bama? I guess besides the one seeds. I think you Texas. could argue Tennessee again. They're playing a nine seed. Yeah, or Texas. Texas fans would be triggered if they lost. Yeah. But yeah, the one seeds just in general. Who would be most disappointed if they lost in the Elite Eight specifically? I would kind of throw Arkansas in there. Like, it'd so. still be a great season and a great run, but when you lose three straight times in the Elite Eight, it sucks because you're, you're no, one away suck. from the Final Four, no, which is yeah, when you start suck. getting I mean, celebrated. Listen, KU's had some 
KU's had some great teams that made the Elite Eight and lost and have sort of been lost in time, it feels like. What about K-State if they were playing Florida Atlantic in the Elite Eight? That'd be <laughs> up there for most disappointed. That'd be tough. Yeah. But I think K-State is in a similar position to some of the other schools in that are they not kind of playing with house money? They were a team that was picked to finish last in the Big 12. They are in their they had their first year head coach Jerome Tang like to me it's already a very successful season for K State. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying like who would their season would be ruined. I'm just saying who would be most disappointed. I don't think they would be that I mean K State fans obviously would be. Yeah, I feel like it'd be a missed K-State opportunity. Fans, like cry more, I don't care. Maybe Gonzaga just because the it's your last ride yeah, with yeah, Drew Timmy. I'm, I'm telling you like the the pressure to me is on Mark Few because at what point do you start to say, yeah, he's had great teams and he's a great coach, but he doesn't have anything to show for it? Houston would have to be up there because the Final Four is in Houston. Yeah. And they're a one seed. Yeah. No, that would suck. That would suck. All right, we're going to take a timeout, then we'll get to that points draft. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We are going to be out in less than 10 minutes. We're out at uh, 5 o'clock. Westwood One coverage taking over. That'll uh, go for a little over an hour. Then KU Women's Basketball and the Women's NIT will be at 6.15, 6.30 tip-off. And uh, then after that game ends, we'll head back to Westwood One coverage. So at a little bit early, so this will be our final segment of the day. We're going to do a points draft. So how the rules on this are going to work, it's just for the week. Okay. That is. So Sweet 16 plus Elite Eight. Yep. And we're going to each draft uh, six players, so basically a starting five plus a sixth man. Um, and... It's just whoever accumulates the most points. So part of the strategy here is you want players on teams you think are going to play both games this weekend because yeah. if some player scores 15 points for each game, then he has 30. Yep. Whereas if you have a player who puts up 22, but it's only one game, that's obviously worth less. Yep. Uh, you, to me. you won Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk, so I will so let I, you I get choose. First pick? Would you rather have the first pick or this is going to be so Oh, I want team. the... So if I get the second pick, I get, get two, two picks three. in a row. Yep, correct. I'll take the first pick. Okay, first pick for one Nick Springer, and uh, okay, that means so you are on the you, clock. You brought up that Brandon Miller is has an injury, right? Or he's I don't know what is his status even in question at all. No, I mean he he had the the injury in his first round game, and he played in the second round game and had uh, a really good game. Um, okay, then I'm, I would I'll, imagine he's fine, but I'll I don't take know Brandon Miller because it it impacted him in the first game. It certainly did. But I okay. will take Brandon Miller because I'm confident that Bamba will play, play both two games. games. Yeah. yeah, he had zero points in 19 minutes in the first game. But he had 19-7 yeah. and seven in the second game. Okay, yeah, I'll take him, yeah. Okay. Brandon Miller. So I have back-to-back picks. The first one I'm going to take is Drew Timmy. I'm okay. not – I'm picking UCLA, but it's a close enough game yeah. that I think Gonzaga could win. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Drew Timmy is the player that has the highest floor, I think, in this because he might only play one game. But he but might he's probably get gonna 20. 20, 25 yeah, points, right? At least, yeah. And if he plays two, then I think if Even you – better. Yeah, if, if, if Drew Timmy and Gonzaga were where Alabama was, he'd be the number one pick, right? Because you, just in terms of feeling good that they were going to play two games. Probably, maybe, yeah. Okay, and then I'm going to go with Marcus Sasser. He's been dealing with injury stuff too, but I expect him to play. Um, I expect Houston to play both games this weekend. He's their leading scorer, 17 a game. I'll go with Sasser. Okay, to me there's an obvious, obvious player that you did not take that I'm glad you didn't take okay. that I'm going to take. Tell me. And that's uh, Kalkbrenner from Creighton. Yeah, that's a good one. Guaranteed to play two games basically, assuming they beat Princeton. Yeah, and I, I think had... he's going to score pretty well. So... I'm really happy about that pick. I had a couple uh, Creighton players on my short list just because I, they're the most guaranteed seemingly to play two games. You would now, think, yeah. Yeah, we did see Purdue lose to St. Peter's, so it's not yeah. a full guarantee, yeah. but they have the best chance to play two games. Yes. All right, you have another pick. Do I dare go with Shireman as my other pick? You could. <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? Screw it. Okay. Give me Shireman. 
Going for the, uh, the the games here. It's Baylor Shireman. Okay, this is where things get really interesting here. Um, I am going to go Adamo Sonogo. I okay, I yeah. think UConn beats Arkansas tonight. Yeah, I was I was thinking of some UConn guys also. And I just they think have, he's they really have that good. Hawkins kid. Yeah, he's a possibility. And then you know what? I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Jaime Hawkins. Ah. I wanted him next. And that way I'm basically guaranteed one of those guys with Hawkes or Timmy is in the elite. Yeah. I was hope I was hoping to get Hawkes next to my next pick. Right, you have back to back picks again. Hmm. All right. Well, I could go with someone from Texas. Yep. Marcus Carr, Sergio Barra. Dylan yeah. Dessou is like an all American. Yeah, like, where where did going that come nuts. from? I know. Yeah. Which I didn't know this, but he you know, he was the SEC's leading rebounder of Vanderbilt. Really? Yeah. Wow. Whatever, whatever his he last didn't do year much his first year and a half at Texas. I, yeah, I know. Last and then month, he just came out of nowhere. It's it like, uh, like, gosh, what was that Michigan big who, in 2013, when they, they beat Kansas on the dumb Trey Burke shot, <laughs> uh, that big Mitch McGarry. That oh, dude oh, it yeah. was averaging like five and four <laughs> over the season. Then the last month of the year, he averaged like, I don't know, 18 and 10 every game, and he was like a first-round pick. Right, I, don't, I don't feel good about this, but I'm going to take Marquise Noel. Wow. I don't feel good about it you at all. You have been a Marquise Noel hater, too. I don't feel... I do not feel good about it at, in the slightest. You could have gone Keontae Johnson. No. I think... No. Oh, I'm, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel good about that at all. You Is have that, another, another pick? pick? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think I need to get somebody from Texas here. Mm, I'll... I'll go with... I'll go with Marcus Carr, I guess. I don't feel good about that pick, either. Damn, I really wanted Hawkes so badly. Oh. I was so... I was so zeroed in on Hawkes, and when I didn't get him, it was a disaster. So options here. I could go Isaiah Wong or one of the Miami guards who scores a lot, but I think they're going to lose. Could go with Pack. Go Matt Bradley, but he only gets 12-13 a game. I think they're going to lose. Um, Ricky Council at Arkansas, but I have UConn. I could go Jordan Hawkins for the two games. Julian Strother, Gonzaga. Tyson Walker at Michigan State might not be bad. Keontae Johnson. Um, I So I'm going to actually take – I'm, I'm going to go for the games here. Okay. The, the multiple games. Okay. Jarris Walker for Houston. He's going to be a pro, first-round pick, top-ten pick. I think he's really good. I think you could show out on this stage. That's a sneaky good pick. I think we we'll get think. two picks out of him. Yeah, that's a sneaky good And then good I'm, I'm going to go with uh, the Creighton one, Trey Alexander. He's their second-leading scorer. He just had a big game in their previous round. Feel good that you'll get two games because they're playing Princeton. Mm, okay, so I have the last pick. Yep. All right, I'm looking at Hawkins from UConn. What's the name of the big for Xavier? So they have a couple, Zach they Fremantle have, and Jack Nunji. Yeah, Nunji's they, the guy that I'm Xavier up. has four players averaging 14 or more points. Yeah, but see, that, that concerns me that, like, if the out. guy that I pick might not have a good game. Yeah. And I don't and think they they're going to beat Texas. Texas. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're going to beat Texas. Whereas, like, you know, if I get Hawkins, but he only gets eight and eight points and eight points from UConn. Tiger Campbell. I think I'm going to go with Hawkins because okay. you remember he went off in Saint, against St. Mary's. He yeah. hit a bunch of threes. Yeah, he could have 18 points one yeah. game and six the other. But that's I mean, still pretty 24, good. You're yeah, probably better off. I'm going to go with Hawkins. Okay, all right. That is our points trap. We'll keep track of that. Um, that's going to do it for this edition of RCST. We'll be back tomorrow to recap what happens. Uh, maybe there will be more transfer news. Who knows? It's coming in hot and heavy at this yeah, point. It's been every day. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Don't forget to check out the best of RCST podcast. Westwood One coverage next, followed by KU women's basketball and the WNIT. Have a good night. Later. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.